Welcome to Manage Tools. Today's show, Professional Subordination, Part 1. Here we go. Well, this one's not going to be a long cast, I suspect, but it is an important right. one, right? I mean, it, you know, frankly, I think you and I were talking, we we thought maybe it ought to be in the career tools feed as well. But we have it here in manager tools because of the importance of this lesson in professionalism for managers. And we don't we don't talk about professionalism a lot. That's kind of a way of thinking. It's uh, there are beha- there are professional behaviors, but professionalism is something different, different, but th- this is important stuff. And you're, and if you're a smart manager, you're going to share this with your team of individual contributors and help them understand it before they make that kind of classic rookie mistake. We're going to talk about someday. Yeah. So, so set us up a little bit. What caused you to bring this topic up? Yeah, I've actually, I've been thinking about it for years and, um, it just happened to be next on the list, I guess. But, but let, let's consider this. Uh, here's a situation, right, that tells us about th- this choice we have as professionals. You're in a meeting with your boss, and you've made your case for some new idea. Uh, maybe it's a change in your budget. Maybe your direct's getting time to spend on something different or new. Uh, stopping work on sa- think on something you think is going nowhere, right? Or maybe even your opinion wasn't asked for, but the bottom line here is you disagree with the decision that has been made. Maybe your boss overruled you even. Maybe the decision was made at higher levels. Maybe even your boss didn't have any input. None of this ever happened to me, by the way. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it did to me. I've always been so persuasive. Uh, or, you know, look, you made your case and you're lost. R- regardless, a decision has been made. You're obligated as part of the organization to act on it in some way. Your division has a piece of the activity going forward and you disagree with the decision. Right. Okay. Um, now, some people would argue, I think, that it's different if you didn't have any say as opposed to if you had a say. So if you're one of those people who feels like it's a more powerful or a a more dramatic situation, if you recommended X and Y was chosen, fine. Our recommendations absolutely apply, but they also apply even if you didn't recommend X and you didn't have any say. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Folks, it really doesn't matter. The fact that you might feel shame and embarrassment in front of your directs, that you went in with them knowing you were going to pitch for X and you come out saying, well, they decided why, um, the fact that you might feel bad about that or that they know more than, oh, by the way, we have to do this now, doesn't make any difference to the professionalism argument. The question we have here is, what is the professional response to a situation where you're asked to enact a decision you disagree with? And and as Mike said, it's a little bit more valuable as a manager. This applies to any individual contributor, but applies more to a manager simply because you have a greater impact on more people than most individual contributors do. And you have a special obligation as a manager we're going to share as well. So how do you react? How do you act when your idea was overruled or you have to enact a decision you disagree with? And there are three recommendations we have. Okay. Number one, The professional choice is to murder the unchosen alternative. We've talked about this before, but never given its own cast. We've alluded to it 
and you've got to be able to do this. It's a part of being a professional. The second thing is you've got to remember that you managers always communicate for the firm. You're never communicating for yourself as a manager, even though you think you might be. You're still speaking with the power of a manager. As we've said before, your directs don't see you as a nice person. They see you as a boss first, and then you may in fact be a nice person, but they see you first as a person with a red sign in your forehead. And you never lose that with your directs. And you can't switch from one to the other. Yeah. And that's that special responsibility that you were talking about that managers have, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that, that you have to communicate and you have to communicate as if you agreed with it. You know, to believe, as I said before on the air, is to act as if. You don't get to say things, but let everybody know you don't agree. That is unprofessional. You have to say it as if you agree with it. Even if you think your directs won't believe you, you have to act as if you believe it. And then, by the way, the last thing we want to say is, is, is uh, there are exceptions to this for cases uh, that involve unethical behavior. Uh, they're very rare some people try to drive a truck through the loophole and you can't, or if you do, it's really, well, it's in fact, it's unethical, um, but we'll talk about ethical concerns at the end of the cast. Good. Okay. So you, you said professionals, quote, murder their unchosen alternative, unquote. Mm -hmm. Before we get into the underpinnings of that, let's be clear. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Murdering the unchosen alternative means that while we can and should make a case if, if, if we're asked, right? While we can and should make our case for a given course of action, or we can or should have an opinion or suggest an idea, folks, once a decision has been made, all other previous ideas are considered moot and no action is taken towards them, period. Okay. Whether you were a supporter of the path that was taken or whether you were a supporter of a different path, it doesn't matter. As part of a larger organization, your obligation is to lay any differences aside once the decision has been taken and act on the decision without regard to any of your or anybody else's previous opinions. Okay. You don't get to whine and complain. You don't get to privately grouse. You don't get to grouse to your peers. You don't get to complain to your boss. You certainly don't get to do any of those things to your directs. Grousing, complaining, moaning. There are more colorful words. We won't use them. Commiserating <laughs> over, over a loss, if you will. I, I wanted X and Y was the one that was chosen. So therefore X lost, right? Commiserating over a loss as opposed to planning a course of action is wasteful. Okay. If Mike's my boss and Mike says, okay, we're going to look at three different options, X, Y, and Z. Mark, you tell us why you want X and somebody else is going to tell us why we, he wants Z and somebody else is going to tell us why she wants Z. And we end up choosing Y. I don't get to go around saying, well, I wanted X. And, you know, when, when, when Mike says, okay, we're going to do Y, I think Y is the best choice. Sorry, Mark. Sorry, uh, Terry, but we're, we're going to do Y. Bob's got the best idea. And so that's the one we're going to use. I don't get to sit around and complain. Okay. And every minute I sit around complaining is a minute I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, which is actioning the decision, right? Wouldn't it tick you off if your idea won and somebody else said, I don't really want to implement that. So I'm going to drag my feet when in fact, your plan relied on other people to behave professionally. In fact, we just assume that when it's our idea that wins, that everyone else is going to enter, is going to action it with as much energy, with as much forcefulness, with as much 
positiveness as we would. And, and, and the fact is, the fact that people argue with us about this point proves that that's not so. If your idea is the one that wins, somebody else is going to complain about it. And they're confused about why it's okay to complain, but it doesn't matter. It's wrong to complain. Look, if you do this to your directs, right? Again, remember, every minute you spent complaining is a minute you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Even if we said, fine, it's okay to complain, we're going to say, yes, but if you have a choice between complaining and actioning the work that's necessary, then clearly, even if it's fine, the better choice is to action the work. And so, oh, go ahead and complain when you have a spare minute, which is to say never, right? And we're telling you it's not okay to complain because in part, you're supposed to be doing something other than that, which is action in the work. And if you have time to sit around and complain for half an hour, apparently everybody's being untruthful with us when they say, oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do anything, but just barely get through my work, right? That's what everybody tells us all the time. Swamp, 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 swamp. Okay. But look to your directs. It absolutely can be seen as setting yourself apart from the organization when we complain about our personal reservations about a particular plan. Because we're supposed to be the organization and the organization, in this case, your boss, but he or she is the organization. The organization has made a decision, right? Yeah. Look, and, and, and when we set ourselves apart from the organization by having a personal opinion about something, that's deleterious to us. It's, it, it's not good to, for them, right? It, it creates a, a, a logical problem for them. Yeah, well, it's, it's organizational cognitive dissonance, right? It's holding two opposing or conflicting ideas simultaneously. Let me tell you, Drex, how bad this decision is. Oh, and by the way, since I speak for the organization, we got to do this anyway. So wait, but the organization is yeah. saying it's bad, but we're going to do it? That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And I think there are people listening and say, wait a minute, the organization did say it was bad. You said it was bad. And of course, that's our point. Yeah, uh, that's um, the point. When <laughs> you say it as a manager, you are the organization, right? And so the next time somebody on your team says, this organization does stupid things all the time, about one of your ideas, you could say, no, it doesn't. You say, yeah, yeah, it does. Yesterday you were saying this is stupid, but we're going to have to go ahead and do it. So therefore this organization does stupid things all the time. Yeah. And the next time you have a decision to act upon, whether it's your decision and nobody else has any input at all, or whether it's somebody else's, you can safely assume that it's okay for your directs to grouse and complain about it, right? If you complain, if you don't take the professional path, it sets a precedent of, of post-decision disagreement, which others can apply to your decisions. And, and look, folks, the lower, believe it or not, the lower we are on the hierarchy, the less time we have for anything other than action following a decision. And hopefully many of you have listened to our cast about essentially retelling Peter Drucker's point of view that a decision is just a choice until it's followed up with plans and activity right? It's not the choosing that matters. A choice is made into a decision when we actually act upon it. So deciding something might make you feel good, but it's unimportant unless there's action that's taken after it. And the action is what's important. So if you make a decision or if somebody else makes a decision and then the action is feeble afterwards because there's a lot of disagreement, then that's poor professional organizational leadership. Simple as that. And here's something else that I think is important. I think a lot of people don't get this. Murdering the unchosen alternative, believe it or not, allows the two things everybody says they want, which are diversity of thought or expression, as well as unity of purpose. 
Okay. Look, people say, oh, yeah, 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 we want to have a, an open discussion. And then, and then people say, yeah, but unfortunately, the open discussion means a lot of people have different ideas and only one idea gets implemented. And then we have a lot of grousing and complaining. Well, okay. Yeah, that's true. So what you're telling me is you have people with good ideas who aren't behaving professionally. They don't realize that you can do both. It's just a behavioral choice. It's a behavioral choice to say, I wanted X, I got Y, unfortunately, and now I'm going to implement Y as if I loved it to death. And you say, well, gee, that's hard. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> right. It's hard. That's why we call it professionalism, right? Professionals do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it, whether they want to or not without debate. Simple. And if you think that you can't uh, support somebody else's decision, you need to get out of a large organization and do only those things that you want to do, which is to say, be an individual contributor in your own organization, right? By definition, being a part of organization means there are going to be times when you have to do stuff that you don't find as effective as your own idea. If, if, if that's you, then you need to get out of large organizations because it's going to happen. Now, if you're saying to yourself, well, I like the pay, I like the benefits, but I've just sort of been soft peddling this and I just kind of, those things that I don't really agree with, I, I kind of don't really spend a lot of time on and I spend time on my own stuff. I got to tell you something, you wouldn't want to say that to a professional boss because they'll fire you. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the paper that in the news now that says you, you should be given a bunch of time to work on your own stuff. And, th and that's great. But if your company doesn't say that, you don't get it. And yeah. you're not at liberty. Go do what you want to do. Doesn't your way of thinking create an atmosphere where there's lack of diversity of thought and expression? I mean, it, doesn't this create an environment where everybody's just moving in lockstep with each other and not necessarily no. getting the best decisions? No, these are two different activities. One is fighting for an idea. Two is implementing that idea, whatever it might be. They're two separate behaviors. They're driven by different things. If you can only, let me put it this way, if you can only fight and act on things that you believed in in advance, you need to get out of the large organization world, right? I mean, <laughs> you look up at executives and you say what, what you call politics, they call collaboration, right? Despite what a lot of people assume, the best leadership teams are not in lockstep all the time. Mike, haven't you and I talked about uh, before about what it was like when we were lieutenants in the Army and working in 7th the 8th Artillery in Hawaii with Colonel Texera and how we had knockdown down drag-out fights and then no, everybody absolutely. agreed and then the colonel said, okay, we're going to do X. And then we all went out and implemented X. It was exciting. It was, yeah, uh, it was. It was energetic to say the least. There were... There were threats and there were it was heated voices and everything. Yeah, yeah. lieutenants arguing with captains and captains arguing yeah, with colonels. And, absolutely. And, and I don't think that's right. people's, the, people's widely held view of how military discussions go, but it happens. But once you walk out of that conference room and the decision has been made, yeah. then we're all in lockstep, right? You're right. And that's the point. There, yeah. There's tons of rigorous debate, right? There's almost knockdown, drag out fights. But once a decision is made, we murder the unchosen alternatives and move on as if our decision is the only possible choice. Yeah, it might appear, right, that all these leadership teams are have a total unity in their lockstep because they're not seen as disagreeing in public. And you think, gee, you must have to drink the Kool-Aid to be on that leadership team. No, deciding to support an idea is different from touting your idea before the decision is made. Decisions are important things. I, I heard somebody say the other day, facts are stubborn things. Well, decisions are important things, okay? Decisions meaning a choice and an activity after it. And that decision, that moment of decision where we start planning our actions based on the choice, 
That's a, a line that says, okay, the effective behavior here is different. I've used this example before. It's kind of a silly example, but I can be energetic and enthusiastic and fun and outgoing and everything else. But when I walk into church, I tend to be a heck of a lot calmer. And the dividing line is walking into church on Sunday morning. Okay. There are other situations where one activity is, look, look, if you're cheering for your team at the top of your lungs and it's the late, late in the game and you want your team to win and then your team loses, you don't keep cheering an hour later and go, go team, go, right? Okay. The game's over and now different behavior is expected. And the fact that you really still like your idea. When another idea is chosen, doesn't matter. We respect it. We understand it. And that's a good thing. And uh, what is it? Fitzgerald said that the true sign of a mind of genius is one who can hold two opposing ideas in their mind at the same time. That, that's a terrible misquote. But, but basically, you have to be willing to see how your idea was the best until someone else decided. And then you have to professionally subordinate yourself to the decision of the organization. So look, you don't see those senior people or you don't see that leadership team disagreeing. And some people think, right? I, I think this is the point I, you and I were making about, about our experience in the Army is they mistakenly see that unity as indicating either an agreement in advance or some dictate dictatorial leader, right? Enforcing the unity. But that just, it just isn't so, folks. In really effective groups, particularly on, on corporate boards, they disagree openly. They say, well, I think X or I think Y. And sometimes they win and sometimes they lose. And then they decide. And there are organizations or teams where they have a narcissistic boss, right? Who hires nothing but oh, yeah, yeah. who agree with them all the time. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not an effective team. Yeah. Look, Henry Ford once said, if we always agree, one of us is unnecessary. What he meant by that was he expected his leadership team to disagree on stuff. Okay. In, in the U.S., there was recently a book uh, by Doris Kearns Goodwin called about, about President Lincoln's cabinet, and it was called A Team of Rivals. Oh, yeah. And frankly, most managers today would say, dear God, would I, would I, why would I do that? Why would I hire a bunch of my rivals to be my directs? The point is not, and, and it worked for Lincoln, although there was a lot of friction and he had to manage it, but he believed that the friction beforehand would create better ideas and he could trust these people to be professional. And once a decision was made, they would all act on it as best they could. Look, effective leadership teams regularly disagree, folks. Ask executives you admire that are part of an effective leadership group. They'll tell you it is knockdown drag out, as Mike said. Early disagreement leads to better ideas and plans. Disagreement happens because leaders are encouraged to disagree. Okay. The idea of disagreement and then unity of purpose are not a, an opposition. There are two things that happen in sequential order, and the decision is the dividing line between the two, and you simply have to change the behavior you're engaging in. Just like if you have a deadline on Friday at two o'clock and you really need to meet that deadline, otherwise your project goes red, you're going to spend all Friday morning and early afternoon working on meeting that deadline. And the moment you meet that deadline and you're now green for that deadline, you're not going to keep working on that particular task. It's sequential. The moment the task is done, you move on to something else. Okay, your task as a professional before a decision is made is to argue or convince or cajole or be accurate and persuasive with why you believe X, Y, or Z should be done. But once the decision is made, your behavior, the, the appropriate behavior changes to supporting the activity that will enact the decision. That's a critical, 
critical factor. And so murdering the unchosen alternative means even if you fought for X, you don't talk about X afterwards. If your directs come to you and say, I thought you wanted X. Well, I did, but we're doing Y and I believe in it. And this is why it's going to work. And if you can't do that, if you can't say why it's going to work, then you need to have second thoughts about being, let's put it this way, a mid-level manager in a large organization. Thanks, everyone. That's it for part one. We'll finish this one up next week. In the meantime, go to podcastawards.com and vote for Career Tools in Best of Management. We'll appreciate your vote. All right, folks. Have a great one. So long.